0: Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander.
1: I'm Simon. And I'm Tony.
0: We are very much knee-deep in tech, and this is episode 82, recorded on the 16th of September 2019. I was just about to say November, and well, we're <laughs> not quite there yet, <laughs> even though it kind of feels like it.
2: Well, we haven't even been to Ignite yet.
1: No, exactly.
2: And I was just about to say
1: that... Um, sometime around Ignite, we'll probably be releasing our 100th episode.
0: There is that, especially if we actually count the uh, the specials we've done that did not get a proper episode number. Maybe we'll simply have to reset and restart around 100 and say that that's the uh, second wave, so to speak. <laughs> but we, we've, we've been at this for a while and I've had, uh, I just came back from Scotland for uh, speaking at Data Scotland, which was awesome. And I had quite a few questions about the podcast and people asked me, so how many episodes have you done? Like 20, 30? No, more like 90. What? Wow. You guys been at this for a while. And when you actually stop to think about it for a while, yes, we have. We've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah. This is kind of fun and stuff.
1: Yeah. And and this is, probably the longest segway ever so i won't even finish it now so it's a combined cliffhanger segway a Uh, cliffway,
0: or is it a seg hanger
1: (laughs) (laughs) seg hanger i'm all for seg hanger uh so and now you dropped me
0: (laughs) oh yes i dropped you off the uh, (laughs) segway cliffhanger
1: yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, I, I listened to quite a lot of podcasts, including one about whiskey. And he has been going with weekly episodes since 2004. Okay, so a he wins. just passed a thousand episodes, one hour long. Wow,
0: that's a serious milestone.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but he and he's great. So, uh, if anyone likes whiskey that listens to this podcast, check out Whiskey Cost. There we go.
0: Yep. and uh, well I'll take it from here and um, I'm thinking that whiskey might be something you would want handy when it comes to the case of the looming cube I, I can hear your silence guys so here's the deal <laughs> Uh, analysis services, which is um, the, the main offering for analysis and, and uh, multi dimensional and, and BI stuff from um, Microsoft with, with SQL Server, used to have just one way of doing things. That's the OLAP or the multi dimensional cube engine. And uh, after that, we saw what's known as the tabular version. And the tabular is is the future, basically. But there are so many companies that still have a lot of real estate in the multidimensional. And they are racking up a serious debt, as you cannot in any simple way convert an OLAP model to a tabular model. I, would, I wouldn't say that it's daily, but every week I'm fielding questions from people who are desperately trying to think of a way of how to do we how how do we get out of this uh cube disaster we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner with because they're they want to use power bi so it's going to be interesting to see where people are going with this especially when they are um, doing more and more in in power bi which does not like multi-dimensional then if you look at azure analysis services then you're only going to find the Tabular version. So the multidimensional is not supported. That's an interesting situation. Do you guys have anything similar where people have really built up something over the course of years? And then I would not say overnight, but then they actually see the light at the end of the tunnel that says, yes, this product is going to go the way of the Dodo and you're going to have to get out of this on your own.
1: Yeah, everyone who does system management with anything other than SCCM or Intune. And now I'm talking about classical management. There are other tools that are fine enough to do modern management with, but if you look at classic, like where Config Manager is by far the best and most suitable solution, we have a bunch of customers that have implemented something other than that and now realizes that it just can't keep up and it's not at all suitable to push that amount of content or do servicing in any way that's user-friendly or admin-friendly.
0: That's pretty interesting.
2: <clears throat> I agree on that, actually. Uh, it's pretty much the config manager stuff uh, that I've been experiencing as well. Uh, not that I usually work with that stuff at all, uh, pretty much, but yeah, uh, companies using like other solutions, for example, I don't know, PDQ or whatever they might be called, uh they don't have nearly fast enough development time to keep up with the config manager stuff that is happening since the i don't know last few years i suppose
0: now we i think we're going to see quite a few things come to its uh, its conclusion or, or get on its head with things that used to work fine but these days you need to get out of them and the the window is the window is closing
1: so on that because one other thing I thought about and this is a very interesting discussion and I would love to hear from our listeners that are in the end user computing space so Citrix VMware whatever because one of the things I see when it comes to similar challenges that we are discussing now is desktop and application virtualization on-prem since we need more and more performance to run it but IT budgets are as we know getting smaller and smaller at some point we won't be able to support the amount of virtualized desktops and applications that our business needs from an on-prem solution just because of cost it's not the exact same thing but i can definitely see that happening and that will push a lot of organizations towards the cloud, whether they like it or not, just because they can't afford to build anything on-prem. Is that completely lunatic to think in that direction? Will IT departments just find money somewhere else? Or do you see that? And I think that could be um, as applicable to server management and databases as well.
0: I would think I'd have to agree because everything is is it, it's a slope and that slope is firmly pointing towards the cloud i don't think anyone in in a few years is going to be able to not be in the cloud then again it's always it's always hybrid right you're not going to be able to move everything then again no probably you're going to be able to move the things that you cannot in any economical way keep on prem Right, and there was an interesting uh, thing that just came out. That's the September uh, Power BI Desktop update, and also the um, the service and the mobile updates. I'm just going to go through a, a few quick things. One is the custom format strings. This is a kind of a godsend for us who do not have a an American date format, for instance. Previously, when I tried to import a field that included a, um, a custom date format, I had to do some serious Power Query magic, so to speak, on it to actually get that uh, field recognized as a date. Now I can specify that this is a date on this format and boom, Power Query accept it as whatever date I, I put in. It's a small, small thing, but it is a huge improvement when it comes to usability. So that's that's a, that's kind of a cool thing. And another cool thing, when I did, what was it, the Ignite tour in, um, in Stockholm, I talked about the Trillion Road demo and one of the cornerstones of that demo is the incremental refresh um, part. And then incremental refresh just means that instead of having to copy all your data up to the cloud whenever I I refresh a data source, I will just copy the changed rows, right? Now, this is a premium only feature, but one of the guys from the Power BI CAT team, Casper de Jong, he said in in a keynote at the Power Platform World Tour in Copenhagen that incremental refresh will come to Pro. There is no timeline, defined yet but it will come to pro and this is a game changer it's going to open up so many avenues for using power bi in in ways that you cannot use power bi pro today
1: so really sorry about being a pain now and being quite skeptical to this this can only be a licensing change right because there's no other technical differences between pro and and premium?
0: Yes and no. I actually had a discussion with uh, one of the PMs about this. And there is a valid technical reason why this is not just a licensing thing. And it comes down to the fact that the premium is a dedicated capacity. You get f- for the least eight cores and you can kind of do what, what you want with these eight cores, right? So yep. so yes, the, there are more moving parts than is obvious, so not quite that easy.
1: No, because if it, to me, it would seem like a licensing thing alone and to say that we have no timeline is basically saying we don't want to give away features, which which is valid of course, but uh, then say that, yeah, we need to convince someone that sits on a bunch of money and they want that pile of money to grow that this should be included because it will increase revenue long-term.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the, the main discussions whenever we talk about premium because premium is so extremely expensive. But yeah, no, uh, there, there are there are more than meets the eye in this case. And what's also fun is that the mobile version of Power BI was just updated and this time they've uh, added support for the Azure AD application proxy.
1: Hooray, finally somewhere where we
0: can meet, you and me. (laughs) And this means that I can have my on-prem Power BI reporting server and still get access to that using my mobile phone without having to create some creative solutions, (laughs) I should say. Yeah.
2: But just to summarize real quick, so uh, the date input thing, that's across the platform, right? Mm Mm-hmm okay and then the delta update refresh to your data is the pro feature.
0: Well uh pro and and free kind of technically you're not going to be able to use it in 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 free, but it's it's the same engine underneath but it's it's going to come to pro yes
2: okay thanks.
1: but uh, th- that's that's one session I would love to do together with you at some point Alexander our uh securing Power BI uh, session that we mm-hmm. have planned for a while now. And mm-hmm. this would, of course, be a part of that.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. And yep. th- the more discussions that I have with people, the more I realize that there is a serious use case for the on-prem reporting server, despite the fact that it's lagging behind the uh, the service. And I also see quite a few uh, use cases for the hybrid option where you have some stuff in power bi report server on prem and some stuff in power bi.com so new, new ways of thinking for for real
1: and things have happened on our blog as well not just the uh, power bi blogs tony has done it again
2: <laughs> yeah well <clears throat> i have just this is something that's been on my mind for Quite a while, actually. Uh, And there is actually no specific reason that um, I just decided to do a little write-up on it last week. So, no, there hasn't been a fire anywhere. Uh, Nothing has been melted down or anything like that. It was just something that I, again, uh, came to think about. And that is your uh, local password on your domain controller. Uh, That is, at least in my experience, uh, extremely overlooked uh, in pretty much all the scenarios that I've been involved with uh, regarding customers. So for example, say that you installed a domain controller 2008 R2, so if we're talking about when you installed it, that has to be a pretty long time ago by today's standards, right? So that should be around 2009, 2010 maybe, who knows, even 2012. So so do you still have a note or remember uh, or even employ the guy who actually installed that box Is there a standard for the domain uh, the local domain administrator or the local administrator account So if you don't actually have a routine for this or don't have that noted down somewhere you might be in a really tough spot if something happens to your active directory which means that you would need to start your directory service recovery mode. And to enable, uh, to, in order to be able to do that, you need to know the local admin password of that machine, and that is usually only applied when you install the box. So that is why I actually did a little write-up on this. Uh, how can you reset this password in an easy kind of way so that you actually get knowledge of what that password actually is in case every piece of <clears throat> stuff hits the fan so check it out it's all knee in tech.com uh, of course and the thing is
1: here that you're
2: actually resetting
1: this password you, you won't get access to the actual password that was set on the box you're resetting it
2: yeah you're setting a new one
1: yeah and what kind of account an account that is a local administrator on that server
2: yeah, well it is actually the local administrator account that you are resetting the password for. Yeah. It's just that the, the the SAM account database is actually disabled on a domain controller, so it is actually not in use anywhere. No no. Except for the only time which is the recovery directory services recovery mode. That yeah. is the only time we will need a local admin password. Yeah. Otherwise you can't even you can't even use that when it is running as a domain controller, so you can't log in to anything with that password
1: no but but you need to be you need to use an, an account that is a local administrator on that server so a domain admin a, a, a domain
2: admin yeah yeah and uh, yeah so I, have... yeah so a regular user can't reset no. the domain ad- or the local admin password no <laughs> what i allow all my users
1: to rdp <laughs> to my domain controllers that's their jump box
0: I'm going to toss in a stupid question here, guys. What kind of consequences will I be facing if I reset my password? Is there something that's going to break? Or is it just that I'm going to have a new shiny password? Uh,
2: it is uh, just a new shiny password because it is unique to that box. So to that domain controller only. Mm. And like I said, you, you can't even use that account anywhere else uh, in either domain or any other local machine or whatever it might be. So it is unique to that box. And only used in recovery services mode.
1: Yeah. But do remember to, uh, on the other way around, then uh, ensure that whoever has the uh, correct permissions to do this, that account should usually not be used
2: for anything else. Usually, no. No. But then again, there is the real world.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I hate this real world. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Domain admins for everyone. (laughs) Yep.
0: <laughs> so what's what's happening on your side of the fence, Simon?
1: I've also been working on a blog, but I thought we could save that for later. As you do with the content of my blog as well. Uh, so, <laughs> this is, uh, as far as I've understood, a way to guess someone's age. Have any one of you used tools known as power toys? Of course we have.
0: Uh, yep. <laughs> and yes, we're old.
1: Yeah, you are. Because Power Toys are back. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were introduced again in an Insider preview on September 5th at the Windows Insider blog. So the Power Toys is now a Power Toys project uh, available on GitHub. And uh, you can download and install those toys now. So currently you have some general settings, you have something called, and I love this fancy zones (laughs) and uh, a shortcut guide for windows shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts, but fancy zones is something for Alexander. I would guess since it's a window manager that would work great on your huge screen so you can have fancy zones where if you drop a window, it will extend to a certain size of zone.
0: Interesting. I've used uh, a few third parties and they are not that
1: great. No. So you have rows, columns, focus, grid, priority grid, a lot of things like that. And you can then do custom layouts and so on and actually create a very nice layout on your screen.
0: How awesome is that? Interesting. I need to check that out like stat.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So that was introduced, and we uh, speaking about Windows, we are now getting closer to the next Windows release. And I was just about to say next major Windows release, but that's not really true. Since we will be getting a 19H2 release, and on August 26th, so this is old news, uh, but the um, post has actually been updated just a week ago or something like that. Uh, Donna Sarkar and Brandon LeBlanc... um, Why is everyone at Microsoft called LeBlanc, by the way? That is a good question. Yeah. Uh, Dave confirmed what I've said for a while was probably going to happen, that the 19H2 release will simply be, hold your horses, kind of a service pack on 1903. Really? So you will actually only be able... The only thing you need to do is uh, to add uh, an update to 19h1, and it will be updated to 19h2. Uh, and as you can see, there are there are of course a few uh, new features, but it's not at all close to what we usually see. But and again, I can rant about this all I want; no one will listen but it's slowly ticking over to being basically yeah you get current branch release in in the spring which you have 18 months of support for and then you get your current branch for business in in the fall which you have 30 months of support for but they are basically the same bits but uh, so that's one thing that tells us that it's getting closer we have also now received the SDK for Windows 10 uh The preview build 18.9.7.5. And when the SDK has been released. That usually tells you that. Yeah they are basically done. uh, With the coding. They are now fixing bugs and so on. Uh, So that's out. And speaking about bugs. If you like to. um, Be a part of the. uh, (laughs) And now listen to this. The 20H1 bug bash. So next. Release of Windows. In next spring. That bug bash is coming on September 25th to until October 2nd. Um, That's usually great fun to find some bugs and kill them. Yeah, but how how would you go about doing this? Uh, You get, in the Windows Insider app, you get uh, quests that you do, and if you find any bugs when you do those quests, you report them into the Windows Insider team. And they will also be able to Um, focus some of the insider groups on specific tasks, specific quests, which they need more uh, feedback on or more tests on.
0: So we're talking crowdfunded unit testing. Yep, Uh, exactly. Cool. Sure, now, why not?
1: I'm expecting the next release of Windows to be out fairly soon, probably before Ignite, and we'll probably hear a lot about how they are doing that servicing and so on during Ignite, and if that's the route they are taking forward.
2: Yeah, well, there was actually a hotfix as late as last week that included a servicing update. So that yeah. might have something to do with this as well. And we also,
1: this will make Tony happy, we also have a new Windows Server inside a preview build, which will probably be uh, the next version of Windows Server semi annual channel. So we're not talking about a 2021 release. Uh, this is the 19H2 for Windows Server. And, of course, admin center, language packs, and so on.
2: Yeah, well, we already have the uh, admin center at 1908, so I suppose the Windows release should follow shortly after. Yep. But the build numbers will still be the year and month, right? So it's not called 19H2. It depends on who you ask.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it, it will be 19... So they are talking about build numbers, they have the uh, year HX format, and they also have the uh, year and month, which are all used.
2: Yeah, because so, I've also heard about like different people talking different terminology, which sometimes makes it a little bit confusing, actually. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It It becomes really confusing and difficult to keep track of whenever your development is as fast as it is. And especially if you're doing leapfrogging uh, betas and parallel execution style uh, development as well. Yep, absolutely. Then again, how long do you guys think we're going to have versioning that matters? I mean, look at whatever happens in, in Azure SQL Server. You know that every month there are changes and it doesn't matter what the version number is, it 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 increases, period.
2: Yeah, well I don't think you can actually compare Azure to anything you install somewhere else. Uh because in Azure the updates can be very transparent as opposed to a client machine or anything you have on premises, for example. Uh, so I, I think some sort of versioning still matters uh, depending on the situa- situation, not not as much as, of course, in Azure because that's just continuous all the time. So version numbering there is absolutely pointless. But uh, running, for example, your server on premises somewhere, or you know, running your Windows 10 uh, installation on your laptop. So <clears throat> maybe the laptop case doesn't really matter for like an end user somewhere. Uh, that's not really important. If someone asks you, "What OS do you have?" Well, I have Windows 10. They're not going to go into the nitty gritty and ask, "Oh, well, exactly which version I'm actually running?" It doesn't. They don't care. Uh, it's not important. But running a server on premises somewhere, that actually might uh, need to be more specific on which build it is actually running, uh, depending on what you're using it for, what the features it is, uh, what it supports, etc., etc. So, some sort of versioning is uh, still needed uh, in many cases. I'd say at least.
1: Yeah, and since we have an actual end of support date per release of Windows Server, it's obvious that you need a a versioning. And since the Windows client case is even more complicated, since you have different support dates depending on which uh, version of Windows you use, it's not not just about the version number, it's about what uh, edition you use as well. And as long as we are stuck in the slowness of upgrades as we are in today, we will require that. In a way, if you move back, we have actually moved back in time with the current way of looking at Windows releases. Because if you think about how it were when Windows 10 were released, when you had support for the two latest versions, no matter what the name of them were, that was more towards where Azure is going than where we are today with Windows.
0: Reasonable. Yeah, we'll see where we end up in the end. Uh, speaking of ending up, um, I'm going to um, to Copenhagen next week. No, I'm going to Copenhagen this week. <laughs> I am it's, confused.
1: It's, 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 it's good that I'll be there ensuring that you get there.
0: Yeah, can can you please come with me to Finland next week as well? Because I think uh, I'm going to be confused there as well.
1: I, I think someone would mind if I did that. Other than that, I would be happy to go to Finland. Yeah. Uh, but we'll meet up in in Denmark.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, this is the uh, the annual IT Expo, and that's uh, an Atea uh, focused event. And it's going to be good fun to um, speak at this. You have already done one of yep. those,
1: right? I was in Aarhus uh, last week, and that was a great event. Uh, over a thousand attendees. Wow. Uh, We're ge- they are looking into the same number in Copenhagen. Uh, 50 partners on site and uh, great in every aspect of it. I was very pleased with the entire event. Uh, so that was super fun. Looking forward to Copenhagen. And that will actually be my second stop for this week because I'm going to Stockholm tomorrow and Wednesday I'll be speaking at the Citrix User Group on uh, the uh, opportunities with Windows Virtual Desktop and Citrix. Now, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, so I'll be going on a small road trip starting in Stockholm, Tuesday, Wednesday, Copenhagen on Thursday, and Malmö on Friday.
0: In Malmö on Friday? What are you doing in Malmö? Top secret. Ah, I see. Top secret squirrel.
1: Yeah, I have a a meeting uh, where I'll be presenting on uh, some Microsoft 365 stuff. So it will be uh, great fun there as well. And I have an internal training on Windows Virtual Desktop as well on the morning of Friday in Hmm, Hmm. Busy guy. Absolutely.
0: right. And next week, I'm going over to Finland for a couple of days of um, basically no-holds-barred technical deep dive on BI, Power BI, storage, data lake, all that kind of stuff with my my Finnish colleagues. That's going to be great, great fun. Yeah, And we will be recording a podcast next week as well. Yep, we are. So we're running out of time, as is most often the case.
1: We talk too much, I think. Funny that. Yeah. I just want to give you a small teaser because I'll shortly be uh, publishing a new blog post Uh on the world's first AI-created whiskey.
0: AI-created whiskey. Yep. Okay, hold that thought because when you've put that out, we're going to have a discussion about AI-created, let's see, paint names. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting discussion, I think. And on (laughs) this very artificially... Not very intelligent at all, Segway bombshell (laughs) thingy. So it's, it's definitely time to end this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.